Welcome to another episode of the Small Town Hunter Podcast. I'm your host, Jodon Baker. Now today we're in Albuquerque, New Mexico for the fourth annual Beyond Rubicon Film Festival. We had a film that we put together and we were lucky enough to make the finals of the film, so we're here and representing Small Town Hunter. While we were in Albuquerque, we talked Brian and letting us come over to his house. We sat down on the couch, shared a cup of coffee, and you know, we really got to talk about all things hunting, conservation, our uh, political climate these days. It was just a really good, fun conversation. So without further ado, Brian Sillison with award-winning TV show, Beyond Rubicon. All right, man, this is awesome. Uh, we're here with Brian Sillison with Beyond Rubicon, and we're actually sitting in, in your home today, Brian. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's my pleasure, man. I, I, uh, I heard you made the semi-finalists on a short film. You submitted to the Beyond Rubicon Hunt Film Festival. I did. Our fourth year going, and your second year yeah. having an entry, right? Yeah, yeah. this is the second year that we've um, put a film into it. Last year was about Havelina hunting in South Texas, and this time we, uh, we went to Montana mule deer hunting and recorded on our, our adventures there. And um, most, most everybody, well, this will be aired after the film festival is over with, but uh, the Meet Me in Montana video is on our YouTube channel. And uh, if you haven't seen it already, you can check out the the happenings and the mishaps on, on that hunt. You know, we, uh, it didn't really, it was an awesome hunt. You know, it was a, both of us killed out our second day and one of us didn't get our, our deer killed on camera, but that's part of it. It happens. I mean, the first time we went to the field, I think I, I missed six opportunities because we were inexperienced filming Yeah. to that, to that degree. Um, I think my brother said it best um, when we first started wanting to film. It's like, why would we invite somebody on our hunt, you know, that we don't know? Sure. As far as camera us. people go? As far as camera, is like just anybody. Yeah, you just, just a blanket yeah. statement that, you know, why would we do that? And I think he was reluctant, Jeff. I'm saying this. <laughs> uh, you were a little bit reluctant, but you're like the star of the show now. Um, but we both missed so many opportunities. Yeah. And our first two episodes didn't have a kill shot. Really? on film huh and we were lucky to even get one bull jeff got a raghorn bull at that now is this like your what you would call your pilot episode or two that you guys first got started right that's that's right we uh i left the marine corps in july and hired a movie crew to hunt in september why what made you do that well i thought that you know if you're going to do something do it right yeah you want good film was your anticipation to have these movie guys come out for you and your brother and your dad to just have this for later on, or was your intentions to, to put it on TV or whatever? Oh, my, my intentions were to put it on TV. Oh, it was? I, I, went, I went big. Uh, Jeff and I had already done some amateur filming. We had uh, filmed each other coming in. He filmed me turkey hunting. When I'd come home on leave from the Marines, yeah. you know, we'd film each other the best that we possibly could. You know? And you know, it's kind of neat what we did and I look back on some of it now and it's grainy and maybe oh, yeah. poorly framed but it's, it's, it's all we had and, and that's what kind of ignited the passion in me True. when Jeff and I went on an Ibex hunt we literally like took the max amount of time off that we possibly could went down to the Florida mountains and filmed each other that's in here in New Mexico here right? in New Mexico for free ranging Persian Ibex wow. and uh, that kind of really inspired us because when we when we showed people our videos from that hunt, 
um, you could see the emotion. You could see people's reactions. Our family, I remember walking on the edge of a cliff and they're literally like yelling, watch out, dad. And Jeff's on the edge of a cliff. And, and it was just neat how we captured that. And that's really where Beyond Rubicon kind of started because one, we had an epic hunt. Um, two, it was really challenging and you had to be wholly committed to going after these Ibex with a bow. What's rough country? It's just pretty rough. Then you say it was the, the toughest hunt in the lower 48? I believe so. I mean, I, uh, I've, I met a guy down there who I call a, a, you know, he's an acquaintance, but he's a friend too. We met him on the mountain. It's hard not to become friends with. He's a sure. guide in Alaska. Oh, yeah. And he comes down and helped uh, Dennis Kaufman, who at that time was um, guiding Ibex, him and his wife. And he told me that this was harder than anything he'd ever done in Alaska. Really? And that's what Even like the stone sheep and... And doll sheep and, goat and yeah. all of it and did he say why yeah it's because first off you know i mean they're all all of these animals are survivors right sure you can't name one but um the mountains it's dead rock yeah and there's cactus and there's just steep shoots and rock falls and i mean rock slides i mean my brother and i the first canyon we went into ever on our very first day of the hunt a rock slide came down the cliff face and landed on the trail right behind us. No way. Twice. Sounded like so nearly got thunder. wiped out. Yeah, we were about, well, we were probably 100 feet from where it came down. Still. But if we'd have been inside the impact area, it would have been over for us. I mean, these boulders You think it would have killed you? Oh, yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. No, these rocks were giant. They're, they're huh. boulders filled. It broke loose and, and turned into a, a rock slide. And, and so I think that's part of it. And these Ibex go into places where... You as a human, if you go, um, and you're not, I mean, you have to watch every single step. Well, there's rattlesnakes, right? Oh, yeah. Cactus. I've seen rattlesnakes in January down there on the Floridas. Really? Yeah. Just abnormally warm weather, and they come out on the rocks to sun? The or sun a little bit. Is they're it little, southern New Mexico? Purple. Southern New Mexico. They're a little purple, a little, uh, little blue, but hmm. mountain lions. Really? Um, I shot my first Ibex, and I mean, I, I, I drilled them double long. He was going Is that down. this one in here? No. Oh. We didn't get this one back. Um, and the reason why we didn't get him back is because a mountain lion got him before we could get to him. Really? And took him off. And we saw that mountain lion on our way out, and he didn't run away from us. So we think he was protecting the kill. Your sheep. Which was probably my Ibex. Are they sheep or goats? They're goats. Oh, goats. These okay. are goats. Yep. Huh. So that was our first encounter. And so... We went uh, our first year hunting. We spent uh, 14 days on that mountain. Well, 15 days, but that last day, we, we didn't make it to the top. We were, we were glassing, trying to be real careful about where we went. And so... Um, what time of year do they do this? This hunt was in January. Okay. They have two bow hunts now, October and January. And then they Is have, one better than the other? I like January because of the snake situation. Yeah. October... It's warmer. October, people are like nutty really over the snakes down there and there's javelina on top of that mountain really i've seen them on top javelinas are a different creature aren't they <laughs> yeah i i don't know some people say they're not they're not even really pigs they call them stink pigs yeah like what are these things they're they're carnivores they're hunters it's, yeah they're what's big. crazy is like they stink like a skunk they have that gland on their back you know and they get scared and they spray it or whatever that's what causes a lot of the smell yeah so there's a lot of guys that I know that are like, oh, I ain't eating that crap, this and that or whatever. Well, where we were in Texas, they're a game animal. So you have to do everything that you can. 
to since they're a game animal, you got to make sure and take all your meat with you and this and that. And uh, we made chorizo out of our javelina this year, and we made it in camp. No grinder, had knives trying to cut up ham, you know, meat into like ground meat type situation, and we added the peppers and everything that goes into making chorizo and fried it up for breakfast. It was awesome. It is awesome. And what's also awesome is you took that animal. Yeah. It always makes it taste better to me when it's like, this is, I did this. Sure. Like, I went out and I got this thing, and it was man versus beast. Yeah. You know, going back to, you know, our primal instinct from the, from the way back. Mm -hmm. You know, people always tell me, like, why? Well, they, we, we can go to the store. I'm like, Especially with a bow. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because you have to get so much closer, and it's that up-close and personal relationship with that animal, and... Not that no, I'm not taking anything away from rifle hunters at all, but there's just especially you know whenever you're let twenty yards in the end from a lot of these animals and you feel a, a connection. And I think I agree, I agree, and and I think just about every hunter does feel some sort of connection, regardless. You know, you know us, we're equal opportunity hunters. Oh yeah, we'll do whatever we can draw or get our hands on. We'll hunt if it's legal and you got a tag for it. Yep. It's in trouble. I have muzzleloader. You know, it's, it's just such a blast because it's yeah. like the in-between. But, uh, you know, the last couple of years I broke out the rifle as well and just really had to hone my mm -hmm. shooting skills and remember that, man, during the rifle season, it's not, a, it's not a gimme. I always thought, you know, bow hunting, you know, if I just had a muzzleloader or I just had a rifle, I'd for sure fill out. Well, a lot of times your archery or muzzleloader season are closer to the, like, say, the elk rut. Right. You know what I mean? And they're fired up and you see them more out and active. Well, rifle season's later for a reason. If they had that rifle season, September 15th would be a bad deal for the elk population. I'm starting to wonder here in New Mexico, the rut always seems to get later and later every year. Really? Uh, then it'll surprise you, but I think two years ago, I was watching a guy who called an elk in during rifle season across a huge open area. This elk was like jumping fences to get close to them. Would not normally ever happen if right. they weren't rutted up is what you're saying. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, but it was during rifle season. So I always wonder, like, I wonder if we need to start making some adjustments here on, on yeah. when, the, when we have the bow season start. But, yeah, that's, that's for bigger brains, biologists. Sure. Well, hunting out west is, is you know, different. Because I'm coming from Oklahoma, you know, our seasons, it's weird because – Anybody can go into a store or Walmart or whatever and, hey, I need a deer tag for a gun or whatever, and they'll sell it to you right there. A lot of these western states, especially as non-residents, you got to draw out, et cetera, et cetera. I've never put in from New Mexico, but like I said, last year going to Montana, you know, we had to go through the whole draw process. I've hunted Colorado three or four times. Their archery elk tag is over the counter still. They're talking about doing some changes from what I understand. But I've always been able to go into the hardware store and pay my six hundred and twenty something dollars, and I got my Colorado elk tag, you know, for either sex archery. Yeah, that's only in, in, in certain units in Colorado. Right. There's some draw units as well for archery. Um, for archery. Oh, really? And uh, the over the counter can be really challenging, and uh, most of the guys who are successful over the counter, you know, they just they got to go big and get away from the back country for sure. And yeah, just get away from the masses. It's tough, man. But. So, Beyond Rubicon is your show that you have. You're the producer, correct? And one of the hosts of the yeah. show. You and your brother and your dad. Kind of a family affair anymore these days, right? Yeah, I mean, it started out, um, you know, with you know two brothers chasing big game all over New Mexico, right? 
And uh, I mean, it's just a natural fit for my dad to be part of it. You know, mm-hmm. he's always been an avid supporter of his boys. And so it just kind of worked out, um, you know, our, and, it, and it came to life, you know, when we, when we got accepted by the Sportsman Channel and we were going to be on the air and we're starting to film this thing that's for real. Mm-hmm. Uh, when my dad got his first cow elk. I remember and, that. And it was just such an emotional. We didn't get the kill shot on film on that time either. Yeah. And the cameraman was just too scared to move his camera because my dad said, don't you dare ruin this for me. Yeah. But he didn't, you know, we weren't experienced enough for the cameraman to pick up the camera when my dad drew his bow back. Sure. Which would have been perfect. But well, so. that first go round, your camera guys were not hunters, correct? That's correct. They were just guys yeah. who knew how to operate cameras right. and had that kind of field, you know, of art, art and photography, et cetera. That's, that's true. And I think that's what kind of set our... The quality of our production apart is having some true professionals in the art of filmmaking. Well, Beyond Rubicon is not the same old thing. I mean, nothing against... I love outdoor television. You know, I've always wanted to be a part of it. Ever since I was a little kid, growing up, watching Jackie Bushman and the Monster Buck video series or even the Monster Whitetails in North America or whatever it was called. And all those guys coming up, you know, I just... It created, I loved outdoor television, whether videos, you know, it was VHS back then or on TNN when it was still going. and ESPN had a hunting spot. Yeah, Um, all kinds of people. And those people, you know, they they were set in their ways, and there was a lot of people that were just like, okay, we need more of that, so we're going to do that plus, you know. And it kind of, I'm not going to use the word sterile, but it's stagnant to, to an extent, especially... You know, the same old thing in the whitetail woods. You know, there's somebody in a tree whispering. Buck comes in. They grunt to stop them, shoot them, recover them. They're all fun to watch because each deer is unique. Each hunt is unique, but it's the same thing, unfortunately. Well, and what's funny is like, I'm starting to really like whitetail hunting. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but in a tree, I, it's hard to do anything other than that. You know what right. I mean? It's right. And, I mean, in the Midwest or wherever. You just can't pick up and move when you get a little bit bored. And so yeah. I, I found myself, you know, I've, I've struggled with whitetail hunting. So I thought it would be wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, um, kind of hunt. You go mm-hmm. out there, you sit in a tree, wait for the, tr- the deer to walk by, shoot one, and it'll be great. Well, no, I mean, just, I mean, the amount of effort that goes in to place a tree stand appropriately is mind-boggling. And what I've learned over the years is that whitetail hunters are so passionate because they hunt year round you have to they don't maybe shoot year round but they're trail cameras checking for sheds you know wintertime scouting is killer for a whitetail hunter because where they're at in december january february is going to be fairly close to where they're at in october november now come march through september it's going to change it's going to be their summer range or whatever but there's no leaves on the tree you can see where they're using their trails I've done that before, moved a stand 60 yards because of what I've seen in January and February of a trail moved over here to jump this spot in the fence wow. or whatever, right. and it works. Well, and, and, and I can respect that a great deal. And for me, I pay dearly for the, the two whitetail bucks that I have. Um, I think the first one on my 10th day in the stand, all day sits. I moved one time That's brutal. during the day to go because I figured you can't kill them from the from the truck. Yeah. Um, so I stayed in the stand. I mean, we're talking freezing rain, winds, crazy. Like I'm doing. What state was like, this in? In Illinois. And I went out there with Campbell cameras. 
a Tim Burnett solo hunter hosted a competition out there. Okay. And I thought, if I'm going to do film stuff, I better go out and do it. And now, I, was this competition after your original Beyond Rubicon filming thing? It, it, it was. I just filmed the pilot. We were cutting together a teaser and cutting together the pilot episode. Same year, though? Like Same year. You went in September for Elk with these right. guys, and then October, October November. October in Illinois. Okay. And it just, the, um, Tom Petrie of Become One uh, put out an email. I was on the email list. I bought a camera from those guys. I said, hey, we have a couple openings, um, a couple late cancellations. And I was like, voila. And I dug deep and pulled out some greenbacks and said, I'm, I'll play. I got out there and I didn't kill anything on the first five days. Yeah. Um, but they allowed me to come back uh, for, for a reduced rate. So I got to go back. In a, in a there's somewhat of an outfitter thing going well, on there. Campbell Cameras has, uh, you know, there's a huge um, warehouse out there. And then they also have Campbell Whitetails. And they have all these leases. And oh, I didn't know that. that and so it was really exciting for me. But at, on the 10th day... I finally shot a you know three year old buck. He's sitting right there on the wall, and I mounted that him. one there. Yep, I was just proud of him as any any oh, buck yeah. I've ever seen in my life. And and uh, we worked hard for him. And and I felt like I put the time in for that guy. Yeah. Um, and so fast forward a little bit. So I think that you know I'm going to go to Texas and do some whitetail hunting. Go to Oklahoma and do some whitetail hunting. And spent 17 days in the field without notching a tag. I saw that episode this past year yeah. that you aired on the Sportsman's Channel. Uh, it was hard to, to do it. I got some some people, you know, we mixed Texas and Oklahoma footage together because that's what the story was about. Yeah. Um, and, you know, people like, just kind of crazy. I could have shot one nice buck with my rifle, but, you know, he stopped in a, there was some brush in front of him. And in hindsight, I'm like, there's plenty of, of spots I could have slipped in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, it looked like he was just going to walk into an opening. So why shoot through the brush when you can shoot through an opening? Yeah. And instead, he ran through the opening, jumped over a fence, and took off across the field. And Deer and, doing what deer do. <laughs> they do. Doing deer stuff. Oh, my goodness. And what's crazy, there was a small buck between us and him that didn't have a care in the world. But that larger, mature buck... He had us pegged, I think, from the beginning that something wasn't right. That's whitetails doing what they do. Uh, they do. And so I learned a great deal about, about whitetail hunting that year and um, was able to get a little bit of redemption the following year and, uh, and, and get a, you know, another nice little buck. You know, I mean, some people look at it. and I mean, he was a mature buck. I have no idea what he scored, but he's really cool and he's gnarly, and I love him because he's mine. Is it that one that you shot with your bow? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a that was also a crazy shot because again, just because they walk in front of your stand doesn't mean you're going to get a good mm-hmm. shot. You and were in the timber too on that one. We were, and he was. If you if you looked at the video closely, you can see that you know I had a, 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 a lane, but um, the shot that presented itself, you know, was. He, if he had been less quartered away, but quartered into me, I wouldn't have been able to get the shot. But the way that he was set up, I had that perfect shot right in front of his shoulder. You know, and you just draw a line mm-hmm. through his vitals and you pick your spot. But you have to know where his bone is. You have to know the sure. anatomy of the animal. And if you don't know it, you can't take that shot. Your elevation, too, it takes, you know, with right. how high am I in the tree, et cetera. I mean, yeah, he hit the Because if you're yay high on a deer and you're already really high... You're going to be over top of them vitals, you know. Yeah. So. 
And uh, it happened to me, you know, I had to learn the hard way a few times shooting at high angles in the tree stands. Or in the mountains, like where you or guys hunt a lot, you know. Oh, geez. A deer come walking underneath you or whatever, and you're having to adjust either up or down, really. Well, it's the same thing. You know, the same thing. The distance is less up or down. You got to take the same consideration and cut those yardage. Mm -hmm. Jeff shot on a real steep angle at about, I want to say 11 yards, Jeff. And he went over the top of the cow. Oh, no way. That's a giant target. Yeah, it's as big as this couch I'm sitting on. It happens. You know, you, you think you got it right. You're that close. You know, he probably should have used his 40-yard pin, frankly, um, instead of, you know, trying to adjust that top pin yeah. low. And, you know, and you just, and that's understanding trajectory, and those are just lessons that you have sure. to learn. Um, I didn't shoot at a bull elk one time at 40 yards because um, I didn't understand how to establish my lane. Um, then a little bit later, I could have shot an elk at 18 yards, but I didn't understand the trajectory of my arrow. I pass on both of those shots, but it's just based on experience, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and so, you know, the 40 yard shot, it was just being able to pick a spot where I knew that the trajectory of my arrow could not hit the brush above it. Yeah. It may be open, but your arrow is not, at, it's going to go in a couple different flight patterns as it goes it, it through really, that hole. It really is. Yeah. And the other one, the vitals were just masked slightly, but the elk is like 10 yards beyond it so the arrow would have flown right over the brush but you never know if you and wound an animal i mean that's on you you know what i'm saying it really is but i've learned now that you know i practice for that stuff sure so i'll get myself in defilade where i can see the body of the elk but he's covered by sagebrush and it's intervening it can't be right up next to him that, mm -hmm. that won't work but if it's um somewhere in between you and the target and there's enough space your arrow will travel right over the top of oh, that, yeah. those branches and, and, and sink right into the kill zone. But you got to be able to see the kill zone. Sure. You know, otherwise you're, you're taking a taking a big chance. And, yeah. But that's all about practice and training and preparation. Sure. And so that's why hunting for us and archery and, and shooting, like that's just it's a lifestyle now. Like, oh yeah. There's no like, hey, it's we 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 got to hunt next week. Let's go set our firearms in. Mm -hmm. No, it's. Our, our stuff at any given moment you grab my primary rifle it is dialed in ready, ready to, go. to go yeah and, uh, and and that's the way we'd like to keep it well, i'm fortunate enough to live where i live that i can go out and shoot coyotes behind my house or target shoot or whatever you know my rifle pretty much stays ready to go all the time because where i'm at i'm not that far from parts of texas where i may get a phone call hey let's hunt fox this weekend or i got exotics on my place or pigs or whatever you know yep. texas is awesome because you can just about hunt all year round for all kinds of stuff you know um you know so i always got to keep a rifle ready to go you never know you never can tell never can tell so what do you guys got coming up for this year well I, this year uh we're trying to take it to a whole new level uh -oh. um you know last year we were pretty fortunate we we were blessed with the Golden Moose Award for the best big game series on overall for the outdoor and sportsman channel. Um, no kidding. And so how many people went into that pot? I mean, you watch TV, that's the pot, you know? Yeah. If it's a big game series, then, then that's the pot that you go from. And so it's one of the most coveted awards. Um, it's a big deal. On the network, yeah. And, and we were surprised. And what was neat is so many people came up to us and like, 
the network's got it right because obviously it's not politics. You guys must have earned this in order to get it. And um, Because you guys are the new kids in town, essentially, compared to a lot of these guys that have been, you know, the Drury's and those Realtree guys and stuff like that. They've been doing this stuff 20, oh, 30 yeah. years, you know. Yeah, and I mean, they, they all have amazing shows. And, and really what they do is they base it on, you know, a few of your big game hunts. And, and they, they sit down on the board. I, I don't even understand the full process, but it's, there's a formula. It's industry people who are voting on this. And uh, it, there's a couple different categories. Um, there's a fan favorite category, which is pretty important too. But, you know, we don't, you know, nothing's lost on us on this. Like, mm-hmm. we are very, very humble about this because we know that things can change. And it can just be. You know, you never can tell. It's hunting. You're out there hunting wild animals. Sure. You know, you don't know what you're going to be able to get in the future or not. So we're just kind of... Do you think your success in the field played into you guys winning the Golden Moose Award? Like, had you not shot that elk or not shot this deer and it either you missed or whatever, do you think you'd still be in the running for something like that? You know, it's, it's, it's really, it's hard to say. Um, you know, we all like to believe that hunting is hunting and it's not killing. Sure. Um, and there's challenges with it, but, uh, you know, I didn't know the grading process is what yeah, part of that formula I, was. We don't, we don't know, you know, it's, it starts with a big swath of, of folks. Um, and then it gets narrowed down to some semifinalists and then they pick the winner. Um, that's awesome. And I think the storyline has a lot to do with it. Um, one of the clips that was reviewed was our four year journey for the dragon bull. And, you know, that Jonathan, one of our, you know, initial members or founding members of the show um and i say that because i just love jonathan and it was just a natural fit for him to be part of we love hunting elk with him and just hunting with him in general and he had hunted this bull the year before we started beyond rubicon year that uh we we were filming for the series itself for the sportsman channel i mean i literally was like take my cameraman you've got this bull go find this bull like you can do it and but this bull was just wily and, and we got to see the rise and the fall of this bull. He was still gorgeous, still an amazing bull. But, was he old? But he started getting old and he got shot during rifle season. <clears throat> really? Um, after archery, the second or third year, the second year. Second year that you guys knew about him? The second year we knew about him. <clears throat> and, uh, and Jonathan, when they butchered him, found the rounds. So no way. So what happened is during season three, he just wasn't bugling. He was still big and giant. But he wasn't bugling, and he was limping. And so you never knew. Like, when he showed up season four... Quiet as a church mouse. He was quiet. He started to, uh, you know, he, he, he gained more mass, but he didn't have quite the length. Really? And I guess, you know, when you're talking to folks, because he wasn't getting involved in the rut, and he wasn't getting that testosterone boost or, or hmm. what they need... <clears throat> Um, he's trying to his survival was more important in breeding at that right, point at that point and so public land bull too right public land yeah that's what makes this one really great and so you know if I were to say that the essence of Beyond Rubicon was captured in this particular hunt because it was the fourth season he shows up two weeks before the season Jonathan finds him and I get this just crazy phone call and Jonathan's screaming he's alive like we didn't know I mean we knew he'd been limping the year before, but what, what happens, you yeah. know, in that, during the winter? Is he going to survive the winter? You know, are predators going to get a hold of him? Is he able to, is he able to withstand? And Do you all have pretty tough winters? Uh, in that region, there's the, snow, the snowfall, the snowpack gets pretty, 
pretty pretty cold, yeah, lots pretty, of snow. Cold and snow and, and so but they'll they'll run to a winter range. Sure. And they'll go and, and they'll hide. Come in the lowlands and that kind of thing. They do. Um, but it's amazing. Big bulls like this, they just tend to stay hidden. And when he showed up, I mean John was so excited, he's like, you know, I think I think we can do it. And so Jonathan just kept pushing out there to glass him as much as he possibly could. I mean, before work in the mornings, he'd be up there on the mountain really? trying to glass. He'd drive three hours just to get some glass. No way. Yeah. It was freaking un- dedicated. Unreal. Yeah. I got to show up with him once or twice. Um, some other friends of ours, uh, and uh, John's showed up to, to help get glass on him too. And then the day before the season starts, he found him. And he found him on a cliff band in this hellish canyon. And he said, Brian, he goes, we're going to kill the dragon tomorrow. And me, my pessimism starts coming out. I was like, oh, are you sure? Don't even put negativity on me, he says. He says, if that bull is there where we found him today, he is dead tomorrow. And he had this premonition. He's like, I have the route planned. I know exactly what I'm going to do. Because it was like one way in, one way out on this cliff bank. Is that what, like he knew kind of his entrance and exit? Jonathan dropped 1,000 feet in elevation to get him. And to recover that bull, we came in from the bottom a whole other direction, and it, we did not get back to camp until the morning the next day. No way. It took us until midnight even to get to Jonathan. By the time we and he killed him in the morning. He killed him. Well, he killed him early afternoon. So it took you what eight, nine, ten hours to get to him. Yep. And then do your thing. And then pack him out. It's coming daylight. One of the toughest backouts I've ever had. And Jesus. I, I say that. That canyon is just, there's, there's hunters that'll go there once. Because <laughs> they yeah. learned a valuable lesson not when to. When they pack out and they're on their backs and it's coming daylight the next day and you ain't been to sleep yet. And they're like, Jesus. Oh, yeah. just, just to get out of the canyon without an elk is, is monumental. So, um, Will he go back in there, did he say? Would he chase another one in there? Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> I killed my rifle bull this year in that same canyon. Oh, you did? Yeah. <laughs> yep, we paid for that one, too. I bet. So, so, I don't know if my body's any better for it. That's a pretty sweet canyon, sounds like. It's a sweet canyon. Those big ones can get down there and, and thrive a little bit. So, so where are all you guys going this year? I mean, obviously, you're going to well, hunt some stuff in New yeah, Mexico. Yeah, I, I, I started to talk about it. Um, you know, I said we're trying to bring things to the next level. Believe it or not, we are collaborating with a friend of mine who has another hunting show. His name's Greg McKell. He has the Utah Wild. It's also his first year. He won best big or best new series. Okay. Golden Moose. His first year out of, of like you're an amazing, amazing individual. He's a good human. He's an athletic hunter. I mean he does these ultra marathons and cross country races that just blow my mind. Um, he was really good friends with Jason Harrison, you know, who you know, found his way. It was a tough deal. Yeah, it's, it's even, you know, I, don't, I didn't know Jason. I just know that what he did for the industry, and, and it's a tough pill to swallow, and he's, he was pretty close. Um, I mean, he has his own plane. He jumps in there, and, like, you, you go hunt coyotes in his backyard, he goes and jumps in his bush plane and goes, <laughs> and it's pretty neat. So he's helping us out, getting us set up in the Yukon Territory. Nice. My dad's 70th birthday, and so we are... From everything from our training and preparation um, and our fitness, like my dad's 70, but you can't be an average 70-year-old fitness to go out there, and he knows this. Mm-hmm. And he started working out. Good. I'm working with a, a, a 
Jim here with Lawrence Herrera at the Performance Ranch here in Albuquerque, New Mexico. He trains MMA fighters and all sorts of folks. I'm like, you know what? I need to get back to Afghanistan um, shape, mm -hmm. you know, like... From like your time in the Marine right. Corps? Yeah, and, 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 I, and that's, how I, that's how I judge my, my fitness. I'm like, am I Afghanistan fit or Iraq fit? Because they were two different environments. Mm -hmm. In Afghanistan, I needed to be as lean and mobile. More and mountains fast. there, right? Yeah, little 17,000 footers, you know. Yeah, little nothing. Yeah. <laughs> little nothing in the Hindi Kush Mountains. And then in Iraq, it was urban, mm -hmm. heavy armor. Knocking down doors. Knocking knocking down doors, doing raids in the middle of the night. Um, I mean, just to, to walk through the city, um, you know, you had to, like at that point in time, I was probably heavier than I'd ever been in the Marine Corps just because it was all about strength. strength. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and so I look at that and I'm like, okay, so Afghanistan was lean and mean. Iraq, I was not lean, but I was mean, right? Yeah. So, you know, you're like a stormtrooper in Iraq carrying just heavy, heavy equipment everywhere. And you're not as fast. You're not as mobile. And so I decided I need to be closer to Afghanistan sure. shape for this Yukon hunt. Because not only are we going to hunt with my dad and, and help him get a bull moose, my brother and I are breaking off into the way back. Mm -hmm. And my dad's going to stay at base camp. Jeff and I are going to split up. And go deep, and try to get some other moose. Um, it's, so all three y'all are going for moose. We're all three going for moose. <clears throat> Any other species on the docket? Well, we could add caribou potentially, and can't you hunt down though? Like you can use your moose tag for a caribou in some units in a in a. In well, the... this is the Yukon territory on the Canadian side. Oh, I'm thinking so, of Alaska, huh? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so Greg's helping set this up. Um, so I'm feeling pretty fortunate with that. But I found out at SHOT Show this year that he's not going to be on the hunt with us. No way. Because he had some other things brewing. But I won't talk about that. That's up to him to I talk gotcha. about. But he's got some amazing things in his future, too. So Where's he out of? He's uh, in northern British Columbia. but uh, they, he He's hunts, a Canadian resident? Yeah. Okay. He's hunting in the Yukon Territory. And, uh, you know, he's been a guide for an, an outfit for, for years. Um, but, you know, he really is enjoying what he's doing now. and. And so I just hope the best for him. But awesome. So I don't. I think this is the first time I'm talking about him actually helping us set this up, which is really neat. You know, yeah. you have another show that just well, willing to roll the red carpet out for you. Well, it's you it's good to work together. You know, I don't look at it as this show, that show, competing against each other. I mean, you kind of are as for like those awards or whatever. But in the end goal. Everybody is there to provide entertainment because that's the goal: provide media and entertainment to the people and help educate others and, you know, push conservation, uh, you know, good hunting ethics, things like that, that hunter safety, things that, cause right now I think that us as hunters have been, are under attack more than we ever have been either against anti hunters, people that don't understand it, things like that. You know, right. we're, you know, um, if, if I remember right, you know, our land and water conservation fund has been yanked for the time being. Am I correct in saying that? Um, yeah, I think it's, uh, there's a lot of debate on how to go forward with that. Right. But, uh, that was offshore drilling rig tax going towards clean air, clean water, and land for wildlife conservation. And it was lots and lots and lots of money. And from what I understand, it got canceled completely or did it? I, I think there's still a fight there. Um, but 
I'm not. I could totally, be misspoken. I, I I'm don't not know. totally read into all. Of I know that there was some conflicts for sure. There's definitely some conflicts, and 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 so anytime that anything goes against our ability to conserve sure. wildlife and our, our public lands, you know that's enough to raise eyebrows. But what is ha- what I saw happening with that in particular is a lot of emotions, mm. and we have to be unemotional, fact based thinking through the second, third order consequences of every decision that's being made. I mean, there's no one right answer for like our national monument situation, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Well, everybody needs to work together. The end state is protect our public lands to the best of our ability. Conservation means proper utilization. Preservation. Wise use of natural resources. Exactly right. Is the definition of conservation. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. And Not non-use. It's preservation. That's preservation. Right. Wise use of natural resources. Exactly. Right. I.e. timber, fish, game, animals, whatever. Yeah. And pick pick a topic. And there's a lot of emotions about it. I mean, pick timber. You know, some of the areas I hunt have been so overgrown that when there's a fire, mm-hmm. it's devastating. Um well, those California wildfires, they had areas of that that they would not let them log and lost everything. And then you see areas that they let them do, I don't know, selected harvest or selected timber harvest, something like that. And it just burnt the underbrush and the forest is alive and well. It's crazy, you know, but. Yep. No, I agree. And, and so, and I think that's what's important about, you know, us being more educated and aware of the policies that are getting floated around. True. Um, we had a large contingent of people voting a certain party line because they thought, you know, they, these people were in favor of public lands um, and they were more vocal about it, whereas the other party maybe wasn't as vocal, but there were still avenues to protect our public lands. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and now we're paying for it in this state where, you know, our governors decided that they'll protect coyotes on state lands, but not protect children and allowing late-term abortions. And I know this isn't a political talk, but... It's just enough to, to, to raise some eyebrows and yeah. it's concerning, be involved. People need to be aware of what's going on in the country regardless of the issue. They need to be have their head in the game and not be thinking that everything is sherbet and rainbows and popsicles, you know what I mean? And you get to go to work and go home and do your thing. Well, there's other you know, people out there that are doing things on a daily basis that affect everybody. That affect everybody. And it- Our military police officers, things that those people go through that, you, that you're not even aware of affect everybody. It does. It does. And so being aware of the issue is the first battle because when it's nothing but emotion that you're getting on the media, from the media, yeah. um, you know, then how can you make a rational decision if it's all based on emotion? Sure. Take a deep breath. Try to be present in the situation. Educate yourself, too. Educate yourself. Think of the second, third order consequences for every single decision. At least try to do it. Some of the issues are complex. Some of them are convoluted. Just think through them. I was interviewed recently, you know, regarding, uh, and it was by by some kids who were doing a project for school. Um, And they said, hey, you know, what's the issue with border security? Don't you think it's being exaggerated? And I was like, you want my real answer? They're like, yeah, of course. I said, okay. I said, so the first thing we need to consider is that whatever's happening at the border, it's it's a human issue. Okay, that's the first issue. Let's 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 make it human. Okay. Uh, the second issue is there's a problem. 
we cannot allow people to come into our country illegally. Mm -hmm. That's an issue. This is a known fact and decades old issue that we've been trying to address and nobody's addressed it properly. I said the third thing is we have a, a legal immigration policy and an asylum seeking policy on the books right now that needs to be worked on. So if we address those three issues, tighten up our border security, call it a wall, call it whatever you want. Mm -hmm. But metaphorically speaking, we need to have more secure borders. Why do people have backyard fences? You know what I'm saying? Well, you know, and, and uh, I'm not, I have friends. Um, I don't look at that any different. Right. That, that's someone trying to protect their belongings, Oh, good their fences home. means good neighbors, right? Exactly. I mean, that's how I grew up. But the thing about it is, is that, um, again, emotions got involved. And, you know, you see a headline news, child dies in custody of Border Patrol, implying that it had something to do with Border Patrol. They didn't talk about the 100 miles the child was drugged no across water. The, the desert without <laughs> water, and they were trying yeah. feverishly to save this child. So, yeah. again, it's emotion-based. Mm -hmm. Do we need to fix issues? Do we want people to die in the hands of Border Patrol? Absolutely not. We don't want people to die, period. Period. At the hands we don't of want anybody. Our, and we don't want our Border Patrol to be in danger. And I mean, right. I, I've got, my brother-in-law is a Border Patrol agent and has lost friends due to the mess down there on the border. And the fact is that it needs to be tightened up. There's no question about it. Sure. Those are facts. And I have no issue with somebody who wants to come to this country and do it right, become a citizen, pay their taxes, do their due diligence to be an American. Right. Like, in order for you to, in my opinion, in order for you to have those rights and privileges, you need to earn them. Well, luckily, I was born here, so I didn't have to go through that, but I'm still an American citizen. We're getting off topic of hunting. I know. I hunted down. <laughs> in, uh, well, our javelina hunt was on the Mexican border in right. Laredo, Texas. And my coos hunt, well, they pronounce it cows in a lot of places. Or cows. Cows hunt was uh, on the border as well. And I mean, we were finding. Um, Supply caches. Oh yeah, all over the place. When we go down there, you, we drive the senderos with the ranger dumping corn out. It's Texas. You feed corn. That's how you kill stuff down there. So we're feeding corn. You'll see people prints in my four wheeler tracks. We had just made the loop thirty minutes ago, or was it last year? I was taking a leak, and the, these guys are hunting down here. You know, just taking a leak behind a cactus, and all of a sudden. This dude in a white t-shirt comes blowing across the Sendero. I'm like, this is real. It is real. And, you know, again, like you said, um, from a human perspective, do not blame the individual who wants to better himself and his family. Sure. And let's fix our immigration policy to a point where we're not incentivizing people to come across the border illegally. Mm -hmm. Because there's, there's a, only a small fraction of the folks crossing illegally who have malicious intent once they arrive here. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that's what we need to identify. But those are enough bad apples to make you look at the situation. Precisely. Precisely right. And so, you know, nobody that I've seen has blanketly said all of them are criminals mm -hmm. who are trying to get into this country. We have an asylum process. We have immigration policy. You know, the caravan that got so much news, like uh, my opinion was... Let them start the process. Mm -hmm. If they feel they have a valid reason to seek asylum in this country, there's a process for it, and it'll be adjudicated appropriately. Yeah. What have you heard about the caravan lately? I haven't. 
nothing, but I did read an article from the New York Times that said there were 70,000 additional um, illegal crossings in the last month. Wow. That they could, that at least the, the, by their estimates. I mean, that's New York Times reporting on this. So anyway, there's there's issues there. Sure. And so I don't know how much of this will be edited out. <laughs> we, 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 well, it's, it doesn't it's, matter. It's, it's, just, it's just be involved. This is a hunting podcast, but it also, this is about what people as Americans go through as well. You know what right. I'm saying? And right now, it's, it's, it's a hot button issue for sure. It is. There's so many hot button issues. And again, emotions are not facts. Yeah. And opinion media is how they're getting away with misleading the public on what's going on. Is too many opinions are being floated out there or touted as news. Yeah. Whereas your your journalists are going out there and gathering facts and presenting the facts as they are and what they are observing is really important. And I would love to just see a switch back to fact based reporting. And get the emotions where the emotions belong. The journalists would be out of a job <laughs> if it was, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, but. It's, 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 it's crazy because, you know, that's, that's the hardest part. You know, I look at um, from liberal to conservative media as much as I can to try to figure out what the facts are and, and really. Um, somewhere in the middle. Somewhere in the middle. And, and truth, the truth is there. Yeah. Um, but there are, there are many different ways to skin a cat. Sure. So. So speaking of hot button issues, Let's go. this fourth annual film festival that you got going on this year. Yeah. Now, granted, I said that this you know this will air after it's all said and done, but why don't you tell people kind of what this festival is based on, what you guys do there, and if somebody wants to do something in the future, how do they get get something well, like that? Well, we, we we host an annual film festival. We're just getting ready to um, to celebrate our fourth um, here on Sunday. And really what we do is we invite a lot of amateur filmmakers just to share their stories. Mm -hmm. And we make it fun by having... Like us. Yeah, like a friendly competition. Um, You know, I do have some professionals that that participate. Um, They don't always win. Yeah. Because we get get films, hunting films in front of a live audience. And we have live voting right there on the spot. Yeah, tell tell them how that works with your live voting. Yeah, I mean, we just, we we have a polling app that uh, we subscribe to. And we, we subscribe to it, even though we only use it once a year. Yeah. But uh, we're able to throw everybody's show up there, and people can vote on their phones right there inside the audience and pick, pick the film. But it's even more than that. We call it kind of a celebration of our heritage. Um, you know, well, there's a lot more going on than just watching right. some hunting videos. Well, ironically, you know, as Albuquerque um, is sponsoring this event for us. Oh, the city of this Albuquerque? Is the fourth year they've sponsored really? us to a certain degree and are helping promote film. Uh, we even won a New Mexico Filmmakers Showcase Award last year. Now, um, I would have been hearing that Albuquerque is the new Hollywood. There's Albuquerque's like considered the Hollywood of the Southwest. Okay, maybe that's what we it got is. got some... Well, because they filmed Breaking Bad here, a lot of it, right? Breaking and Bad. And everybody's right heard now. of that show. Yeah. So a lot, big, big film thing, but when you're hunting film and outdoors like we are... Mm-hmm. Um, there's, it can be polarizing to some people. Well, the hunting heritage is pretty strong in New Mexico, it right? It is pretty strong, but the, the other aspect of it is you know, that there's a lot of people still in the state don't understand it. Mm. And so to have Albuquerque support us, have New Mexico support us the way they have, I think it gives us hope that we all can have a valid argument on why we need to protect this heritage. 
and we're right downtown at the Chemo Theater this year in Albuquerque. We drove by it on the way here. Yeah, yeah it's pretty, pretty cool neat. historic mm-hmm. theater. Um, I think uh, you know we invite local vendors to participate because again, it's a celebration of our hunting heritage. And so, if they're anywhere in the hunting industry, they can come and set up a table. That's all we have. It's not like a booth space. Sure. Um, they can set up a table. They can showcase what they have. A lot of them donate prizes to help raise money and uh, for for combat veterans or law enforcement or first responders who we want to help get on a hunt. Um, we've expanded that to include Gold Star families. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody who's lost a family member in combat and trying to, to just to provide an opportunity for them to hunt. Uh, and uh, it's worked out pretty well. Last year we broke records on the amount of money we raised, and it really is pretty informal. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody asked me the other day, "Where's your logo for the for the film festival?" And I'm like, "What logo?" <laughs> They're like, "You got to have a logo." And I said, "I said, well, like a Beyond Rubicon film festival logo." Yeah, and I said, well, "Really?" I said, um, "I said this <clears throat> thing started out to be informal, and and we want to keep it." To a certain degree, sure. relatively informal. Is this the first year you've done it at this new theater? It is. Yeah, we've been. Is standing it bigger room, or smaller? It's bigger, and because we were standing room only, in in the last theater for three years in a row. I was here last year. Right. I remember. Yeah, we got a little bit crazy. Yeah. And uh, and last year, it's amazing. We had a lot of participation. I don't know what the total numbers were at the end of the night. Of people that came through the door. Yeah, but apparently, you know, from what they told me, they estimated that we we're probably around five hundred. No they kidding. Birds on that theater. And came in and out at wow. different times. And so, and that's because we had the whole space on the outside. That's you know, true. Talking with the vendors. And so my uncle Earl, he's a... Dirty he's Earl. Dirty <laughs> Earl. He's going he's gonna to be running our uh, raffles again, too. And, Uh-oh. I mean, some of our national sponsors like Thompson Center Arms, Sawyer Products, Garmin, Vortex, they all came big. Um, Black Street Guide Gear sent in a pack, you know. People are doing what they can to help us. Outdoor Edge Knives are doing what they can to help us. I mean, the amount of prizes, I can't even begin to list them all. Yeah. I, I try my best as they come in. I mean, we're just, if you leave the film festival without something, you know, then you're just a very unlucky person because there's a lot of swag. You know, last year, Zach and I rode in together because he was in the, the Havelina video with me. Yeah. And we decided, yeah, we'll go ahead and buy some tickets you know i don't normally do raffle tickets because i just kind of i don't i'm not much of a gambler but knowing that last year you know those proceeds went towards patriot hunts which is an organization that i feel very strongly about and i support everything that they got going and i'm like ah it's for a good cause right right so i bought 20 40 bucks worth zach he he peels off a hundred old dirty arrow but he only got like three or four tickets for that hundred dollars at the beginning and then later on earl's like i'll give you an arm's length for five bucks just trying to get rid of them tickets. And Zach was so mad. He's like, I spent $500 on four tickets when I could have got the rest of them for that Oh, yeah, he's not the only one. I got, that's the oh, only he, complaint I got. Earl's like, did we raise money or did we not raise money? And, and I said, I, we yeah. did raise money and it but helped. Zach walked away with a brand new rifle at the end of the day. He won a rifle. I won a Vortex Spot and Scope. So. Yeah, so there's prizes out there, That's folks. right. But uh, I think what's neat is like the filmmakers are doing it because of the love. Yeah of film and one of the things we're doing this year and if this is in the past is that um, we are showcasing three professional New Mexico hunting filmmakers I call them hunting filmmakers for a reason Mm -hmm. we call them outdoor film or whatever we want to do Um, and that is uh, Trayvon Stolfus from Outback Outdoors Matt Forsythe who was one of our cameramen who goes out and hunts with Kuyu and 
and uh, was was with Jason Harrison the week before. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, like these guys are amazing. They're we're very the, talented too. They are, and we're at the Badlands Film Festival, and the New Mexico born and raised guys. Both of those guys are from New Mexico. We all we swept the Badlands Film Festival. Really, one hundred percent of the awards went to the three of us. Well, Beyond Rubicon had one we with did, your we, nephew, right? With we, his Perthes and his comeback yeah. and all that. Yeah, uh, wheelchair and a prayer, Hank the Tank. Yeah, um, we we won the feature, and then uh, Matt and Trayvon both we call him Trev, uh, both uh, you know won second, third, and then they both. Matt took the short, and then they took the special awards that were given as well. So, that's cool. We have a great, great Kodak moment. Yeah. But Matt took off before we could do it. So it's just me and Trev and his crew and my family. So we'll show that at the, the awesome. at the festival and give Matt a little bit of trouble for leaving the Badlands Film Festival too early. Mm-hmm. But um, we had an absolute blast. There was nothing like being having your stuff presented in front of a live audience. Um, and that's what kind of inspired us to do the film festival here in Albuquerque. So, hey, we're involved in film. Why We have a lot of local filmmakers. I think the first year it may have been local only. Oh, really? Um, and then it just grew and it became kind of national. But it's all friendly. Mm-hmm. There's not, we're not going on tour. We're not competing with other film festivals or anybody else. We're simply going out there and celebrating our hunting heritage. And I think that's what is going to make it special. Well, this year you're doing a little bit different too. You're gonna to be you're showing more of the amateurs on the big screen than before, correct? Right. We're uh, we're showing more of the amateurs. We had a because we switched venues. There were some timing issues going on. I'd licensed the hunting film tour um, for several years in a row. Those guys are amazing and they're really great. But we just didn't have time. Mm-hmm. So what I did is I said, well, we have enough time to bolster up the amateur stuff to showcase some of our own stuff. And uh, Matt and, and Trev, um, and then uh, you know, then we'll call it a day. We just don't have the time this year to, to sure. showcase everything that we wanted to do, and that's really what it boiled down to. Right. But uh, yeah, the hunting film tour is one to look for because they they have a enormous following and a lot of really great filmmakers. Yeah, they do every year for that, and uh, and it's I like to watch it just because I like to elevate my game. Sure. Seeing what these other guys are doing. Yep. And, you know, coming to this deal last year, I was lucky enough to make the finals, if you will. And, you know, we were voted on by a live audience, and we were were rolling down the line, you know. But that's okay because looking at those other guys' stuff, especially on the big screen, you realize just where your place is at. You know what I mean? And it's humbling. It was fun to still come out here and do it and hang out with you guys. And uh, I think that was the first time that I got to meet Jeff, your brother, whenever we come out here and – um, your dad and Dirty Earl mm-hmm. and all that. Yeah. So it's been a good trip, and really uh, good trip. I'm excited to for this Sunday to get to do it again. And yeah. I got my wife with me this year. Got some good friends that are mm-hmm. are making the the trek to New Mexico. And That's great. We're gonna see the sights in your wonderful town here. I didn't realize it was the largest city in New Mexico. Yeah, yeah. And then add Rio Rancho to it, and it's like double. Yeah. So, um, but uh, you know, and then Santa Fe's you know about. Not far, away, yeah. And that's the capital, so it's pretty good. But um, but no, I mean, Beyond Rubicon, people really confuse what Beyond Rubicon is because by name alone, they don't understand that, that it's more about attitude. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
and I had to go to the way back, you know, they're like, oh, you must be sponsored by Jeep. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I wish. <laughs> I wish we were sponsored by Jeep. Oh, this must be rugged like the, you know, when they find out it's an outdoor show, it must be rugged like the Rubicon Trail. I'm like, well, no, let's go, let's go to the way, way, way back. And uh, we talked about when Julius Caesar crossed the Rubicon. And uh, the river. The river Rubicon. And when he crossed it, he said the die is cast. He said it more beautifully and eloquently than I can say it in Latin. Mm -hmm. But the die is cast and there was no turning back. And so you can still see it. It, it became, you know, like a kind of metaphorically speaking um, about a point of no return, about crossing the point of no return, about an irrevocable commitment to something greater than yourself. And so I've only heard it a few times in my life where somebody's like, you oh, know, we crossed the Rubicon on that issue. That means we're not going back. You know. Well, a lot of people don't know their ancient history. You know what I mean? Well, to, they, don't, they don't know it. And, to and, use and it's those. okay. But, yeah. get, but understand the attitude. You know, For sure. certain, it's family, religion, hunting, lifestyle. It's all-encompassing. Maybe it's, maybe it's losing that extra 10 pounds before elk season, right? Like I'm doing. Getting back in that Afghanistan right? shape. <laughs> yeah, you gotta, but you're being committed. You're not going to quit. You know, you're not going to turn back. And that's beyond Rubicon. The reason why we, we're, we're beyond the Rubicon already is we've already crossed the river. Mm -hmm. We don't want to go back. This is our way of life. It's our constitution, you know, the Second Amendment, our country, our God, our family. It's all in it. And so we're not looking back. And so, you know, our hunting heritage is across the Rubicon as well. And, and we're going to do everything we can to protect it, you know, and, and to be good stewards of what has become an industry of hunting. And, and that's the... Too much that word gets thrown around, the industry. The industry. I, I laugh at people. You know, my friend Jenna Walla from Skullbound TV, she gives me trouble all the time. She's been like my big... I wouldn't say big sister. She's been like my sister, like a really good friend. And, and uh, her partner, Jim, is a former Marine. So we just automatically hit it off. And so, you know, she always gives me trouble because she's like, you're like the biggest non-industry guy. <laughs> You started your show with zero sponsors. Yeah. Yeah. The, I, uh, not, not, the other people do it the other way around. You know, they get 30, 40 sponsors and then jump into it. I'd like to think that that's the business model, but, um, but you know, she has an amazing show. She won a Golden Moose, Moose yeah. this year as well, so that was pretty neat. Um, but She has a unique take on her, you know, experiences and the way she does things. Oh, yeah. Oh, I just love it. Her, her level of energy is off the charts, yeah. you know. And, and uh, we've got, you know, the Hollywood Hunter and Clint Easley, his producer, um, you know, Freddie uh, Hartis is changing his brand from Hollywood Hunter to the Maverick. Oh, really? And he's got just some amazing stuff. And we've all become friends. And what we've decided is that, you know, I mean, Jason Matzinger, you know, I mean, the guy is just set the bar high for hunting film and sets an appropriate example. Did you see that sheep that he killed in Montana? That yeah, big horn? That was pretty impressive. You know, you know, like Matt Forsythe coming into his own, mm -hmm. right? And so... There's a ton of talented guys out there and girls. Right, and Willie Schmidt, you know, uh, I, somehow I'm kind of on the periphery of the group, but I consider all these people my friend because sure. I look up to them as well and I admire them for what they're doing in the industry because it, it doesn't take much to hurt um, the hunting world. Well, we've seen in the last few years, you know, for, for example, poaching cases, People just being downright jerks to their cameramen or whatever. Well, whatever, whatever it is, you know. And and I've had bad days in my life. Sure, we so all I, have. I try, I try very hard not to judge, but 
as a filmmaker and somebody who's on national TV and, and my friends are the same way, you know, the, the Jasons of the world, like set this amazing example, the Janas of the world, the Willies of the world. Like now that you're in Trayvon, that spotlight on that platform, right. you have an image to uphold. And a responsibility to the greater good. Yep. Greater than anything you could have ever done because mm -hmm. it's, it's all there and it's all in the public eye. And, yep. and I, am I saying I'll never make a mistake? Absolutely not. But, you know, it is at the forefront of everything that I do. You got to be. Make sure we set the appropriate yeah. example. Um, and, and there's a responsibility to that because it hurts us more than anything when a, a public figure or a hunting celebrity or whomever, some personality does something egregious. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when it, when it comes down to hunting, when it comes to following, being legal and moral out in the, out in the woods. And um, so we, we really do work hard. And it's just nice because we kind of think that, that like minds and like personalities kind of feed off each other. Sure. And so that's how, like... Well, you can sudden, push each other, too, to be better. Right. You know, and... So, Brian, thanks for, for having us in your home. Thanks for the coffee and the conversation. I really appreciate it. Um, why don't you just tell everybody how they can get a hold of you? Well, I mean, you can you can find us on my webpage at beyondrubicon.com. You can go to Beyond Rubicon on Facebook. You can go to Beyond Rubicon on Instagram. And we're there. As a non-industry guy, my social media was an afterthought, but we're getting there. So all of our stuff is, is, is able to be found somewhere, somehow. Um, we're also going to be on the Sportsman Channel again starting in July. We'll be on three times a week from July through December at 7 p.m. Eastern. And so on Monday, 7 p.m. Eastern. But uh, and we have an overnight and a daytime spot as well. So I think, uh, I think you can find us if you want us. Awesome. Well, Brian, thanks a lot, man. Beyond Rubicon, check them out. It's a great show, great people. Uh, I'm glad to be a part of it. Thanks.